Hello all, welcome or welcome back to And Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. Um, I know I wasn't here the last time I was supposed to make an episode, but I told you guys if you watched my summer experiences episode, I mentioned how I was going on vacation and I just needed a little summer summer pause from the podcast podcast. So I skipped an episode or I skipped a week where I would have made an episode. And also I could have made an episode. I came home from vacation the day before, not Sunday, the day I was supposed to make the podcast episode. So I really could have made an episode, but I feel like my head was not in the right space and I was really angry. And when I'm angry, I might say things that I shouldn't say in this podcast episode. And I was angry because I'm sure if you live in the United States, or even obviously, if honestly, if you don't live in the United States, you probably have still heard the news that the right to an abortion is no longer protected by the federal government. And that was the decision of five people on the Supreme Court who now have an impact on millions and millions of lives, millions of women, helpless, defenseless women who now are stuck without the option to have a medical procedure. And as I'm saying this right now, I'm getting angry. And this podcast episode... In my podcast, I try to remain neutral when I'm talking. I try not to get really angry or I try not to let myself spiral off into a bunch of rants when I'm talking about something that really matters to me. However, this podcast episode is going to be the exception because I am so angry. Even now, two weeks later, two weeks or two and a half weeks after that decision was made, I am so angry. And I will never stop being angry until the decision is reversed. And even when it is reversed, I'm still going to be angry because there will, there was a time, there is a time right now where women in the United States do not have rights. We do not have human rights. And I'm sick of it and I'm sick of women, girls. I'm sick of constantly, constantly trying to measure up and constantly trying to give or have access to the basic human rights that I know a man would. And I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it. So this podcast episode is going to be a bit heavy. Um, I'm going to be talking about, well, right now I'm talking about, I don't think I said the name. I'm talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was the federal court case that, or yeah, the court case that had the federal right or the federal protection to give women an abortion so that states could not take that right away is what I'm trying to say. So that decision has just been overturned, which means now it's up to the states in the United States to decide. Each individual state will decide. And it's really unfortunate because this impacts this impacts all women but it really really impacts 
women living in poverty, women who are living in abusive households, women who do not have the circumstances and the resources to fly to a different state that permits an abortion, so instead they're going to do it themselves and they're going to die. And it makes me so angry to think about that and to say those words out loud. It's making me feel sick. It's making me feel sick to my stomach right now. So yeah, this podcast episode, I am angry and I'm not going to hide that I'm angry because I'm I'm so sick of it. And I was just thinking about Taylor Swift's song, The Man, and the lyrics to that song go, I'm so sick of running as fast as I can, wondering if I'd get there faster if I was a man. And just over these past two weeks, those lyrics to that song have been running through my head because they're so true. And I'm starting to think, you know, if this actually, this would never happen to men. This would never be an option for men. And I'm just sick of being controlled by men. I'm sick of women's bodies being controlled by men. Anyways, so that's why I kind of wanted to make an episode on internalized misogyny, because that's kind of where this decision to overturn Roe v. Wade came from. So I'm going to be talking about internalized misogyny today. I'm also going to be talking about sexism. And I wanted to briefly touch on this book I've read. It's called The Handmaid's Tale. So I was reading The Handmaid's Tale and my uncle actually recommended it to me. And it was sad. And I remember my mom saying to me, you know, it's not so different from what's happening now. Which is really just extremely terrifying. And basically, if you haven't read The Handmaid's Tale, the United States government has been overtaken by the regime of Gilead. And Gilead is this new government, this new republic that has taken over, and it is a totalitarianism government, which basically means the citizens really have no choice in their everyday lives, and they have to do what the government says. And so... The government basically controls women through a hierarchy. And at the top of the hierarchy, for women, of course, because the women are automatically, no matter what their status is, no matter how wealthy, they fall below the men. So if we're going through the women, we have the wives. The wives are required to wear blue to identify them. And these are women who are... A lot of them are infertile, so they can't give birth. Oh yeah, a lot of these women cannot give birth anymore because the air is very toxic from pollutants and just it's very, just the air is very toxic. The environment has been destroyed, the atmosphere is bad, blah, blah, blah. Kind of what's happening now. Anyways, that's a whole nother thing I could go on to. So basically, a lot of these women are infertile. And those who are fertile, those who are, those who can give birth, they are called the handmaids. We'll get to them. But as I was saying, the wives wear blue and their status falls below the man. Oftentimes, they cannot give birth. They're infertile. Then we have, I think, I'm not sure the exact ranking. I don't know if the Marthas are higher than the handmaids. I think the handmaids are like the lowest of the lows. I don't know, but I think it goes then Akano wives. And Akano wives are those who are wives. 
but they wear stripes because they're not wealthy, they're poor. They're kind of more like the lower class. Those are the Akana wives. Then we have the Marthas. The Marthas wear green. They're basically servants. That's servants, but, you know, they they have no choice. They're servants or else they are killed or they go to this place called the Colonies where you do a bunch of, or you live on this land that has radioactive waste, so you're probably going to die in a few years from from exposure to radioactive waste. So really, they have no choice in being a servant. Those are the Marthas, and they wear green. And then I'm pretty sure the handmaids are at the very bottom. The handmaids are these women who are fertile, they can give birth, and they are quite literally sex slaves. Like, that is, that's literally what they are. They have no choice. They, their only choice is to be a handmaid and literally have sex with the husbands of the household and give birth to babies, which will be given to the wife, the wives and the husbands of the households. And then they move to a new household to do it all over again. So they can either be a sex slave or they can go to the colonies, exposure to radioactive waste, and they're going to die. So really, the women in the Republic of Gilead, they have no choice. They are only seen for, are you fertile? Are you not fertile? If you're fertile, you have to give birth. You have to have a baby. And you're not allowed. You don't have a choice. You have to have a baby. Does that sound similar? Does that sound familiar to what's going on right now? Because to me, it sounds really familiar. And what was terrifying to me is that the doctors who would perform abortions, their bodies, first of all, they're hunted down. So people will report them, whether that's a nurse, another doctor, a family member, it doesn't matter. A lot of them get reported or they get discovered. They go looking for these doctors, the government does. And when they find them, they kill them. And they hang their bodies on this brick wall as a sign to other people like, this is what will happen to you. You do this, you're dead. You do this, your body will be on that wall next. And it's gruesome. It's it's disgusting. It's unethical. It's immoral. But no one has a choice because the government's in total control. So these doctors are punished for doing abortions. Now their punishment's death. But doesn't that sound familiar? Doctors are punished for doing abortions, such as going to prison for 99 years. Doesn't that sound really familiar? Women's bodies being controlled, they're only seen for, are you fertile, are you not fertile? They're not allowed to have abortions. They're not even allowed to think about having an abortion. They are not allowed to make that decision. Doesn't that sound familiar? And when I talked about what the women wore, what the handmaids wore, the wives, the Marthas, the Akana wives, they are all wearing these heavy cloaked gowns. I mean, they are not allowed to show any of their skin. It's very conservative because, you know, they want to preserve this quote-unquote innocence about these women. They don't want them showing any skin They have to completely wear these dresses, and then they also have, I I don't know the exact word, but they wear these white kind of, I don't know, like, they're not hats, but they're like winged caps, I guess. I don't know. They go over their hair, and then they like cover the sides of their face so they can't see out. And you know, I'm not, 
obviously I'm not talking about real life, like religious reason, religious reasons. If you wear hijab, that's completely different. I don't want to, anyone to think I'm, I'm talking about that at all. That is completely different from what I'm saying. I'm talking about how all women had to wear this and they didn't have a choice in doing so. The government made them wear these caps per se. I have to find the exact word for what they are, but they're like these winged caps. They can't even see from the sides of their face. They can only see straight ahead because they don't want anyone to see their eyes. They don't want anyone to meet eye contact and to look at them as an actual person. And they all have to wear heavy gowns. They can't wear anything that shows their arms, anything that shows their legs, none of that. So it is very strict and they don't have a choice. That's what they have to wear. Just to differentiate the two, I'm talking about the book and how they didn't have a choice. But their status was represented by the clothes they wore. They were stripped of their identity. They were stripped of their past lives. I mean, the main character, we never found out her first name because it was like so sacred to have this identity. So her last name was Offred. And that's all we know. We don't know her first name. Although some have speculated what it is, we don't actually know. So her name is Offred, and she is a handmaid, which means, again, she's like the sex slave. She doesn't have any right to her body, and she had a husband. She had a daughter, and they're gone now. She doesn't know where they are. I don't actually know if her husband is dead. I I don't know. So I think he might be. I think he might be dead. But I don't know for sure. The book never really stated it. The daughter has been taken to be... Oh, also, there's daughters of the wives. And the daughters wear white. Again, because white represents this purity, this innocence. And you want these girls to seem innocent and pure because, you know... That's... You want women to be viewed that way in this time. This is what the Republic wanted women to be viewed and white typically represents purity and innocence so the daughters were white and the main character Offred, her daughter she found she got a picture of her she accessed a picture of her and she wore white because she's now been taken into one of these households with the wife and the husband and probably a handmaid and the marthas as their servants and she wears white because she is a daughter capital D, daughter. That's her status, daughter. I mean, and there's no status for like if you're a son with a capital S or you're a father with a capital F. No, no, no. It's only the women. You're either a wife or you're a daughter and that's your identity. And that was pretty striking to me. And I think the book was especially twisted because in the book, rape is the biggest felony like the biggest felony the pun- the penalty for rape is death in this book and so there was an occurrence where this man who was not he wasn't actually a rapist he was a political enemy of the government but they lied and said he was a rapist to make all the women go against him so all these women at this like convention kind of they started attacking him because he's going to die when he has like hundreds of these women like clawing at him, like kicking him, beating him up. Because they view rape as the biggest sin, the biggest 
worst thing you could do in this society. And by doing that, they say, you know, women are respected now. Women don't get catcalled anymore. Women, we don't have rape anymore. And if we do, the rapists are dead. And women are respected. And so they trick these women in the book into believing that they're respected. You know, oh, someone, if I happen to get raped, then that person would die. Because that's how much the government believes in women. And they believe in my rights. And they don't want, they don't want anyone to harm me anyone to hurt me. So it kind of tricks these women, even though they aren't actually protected, even though they have no rights, even though women are not respected. Because if women were respected, then they wouldn't have to be dressed all the same. They wouldn't have to be put down to their identity as a father, or as a father, as a mother or a daughter. Their identity wouldn't just consist of what they wore. If that, if women were respected, they would be allowed to get an abortion. They would have a choice in whether they wanted to give birth or not. So women are not respected, but you know some of them may not realize that, which was just extremely terrifying. And I know I've talked about this book for like a while now, but I mean, it is a great book. It was a great discussion book and it really just struck me like, oh my God, this is horrifying. But in some countries, I mean, in some countries, Obviously, a lot more countries, not a lot more, but there are more countries that women have less rights than those in the United States do. But it was scary to see the similarities between those in the U.S. right now and those in this fictional book. And I kept thinking throughout the book, oh, this book took place in the 1800s, you know, where women couldn't vote and they didn't have very many rights. No, this book takes place in the future, like it takes place right now like in the 21st century, or in the 20th century, I'm not sure. This book is taking place right now. Not in the 1800s, not in the 1700s, right now. So it just, that was heavy. And a few other things I wanted to say about the book. Um, basically, these daughters, capital D, daughters that were white, they had group weddings. Obviously, assigned marriages you know, you didn't get to choose. So they had these group weddings and this guy, I don't know if he was like a minister or whatever, but he was reading from a Bible or he was talking about the Bible and they've altered the Bible. Like the government has altered the Bible so that it says things that weren't ever actually in the Bible. So just keep that in mind. But I actually have a direct quote because I was, I don't annotate books, but I did mark a few things in this book because it was just insane. I mean, oh my God. Um, so I'm pulling up the quote right now. So this commander, the commanders are like the husbands of the household. This commander is saying, I will that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. He's telling this woman, you know, I'm not going to suffer you to speak over a man. I'm going to let you be in silence, as if it's a good thing. And that was terrifying to me. 
Then this next thing he says, which really scared me at this group wedding, he says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And basically he's saying, he's referencing a Christian belief of Adam and Eve, and he's saying, you know, Adam was formed first, then Eve, therefore, you know, God wants it to be this way. It was supposed to be this way, women under men, which obviously is not true, but you see how he's kind of twisting religious views, and he is reading from this Bible or talking about the Bible that he's altered as if everyone there believed in the Bible. Everyone there followed Christianity, which obviously a lot of people in the United States at this in the in this book probably were not Christian, but they were forced to conform or they were killed or they were sent to the colonies. And so it really struck me how there was not really a separation of church and state. And a separation of church and state means that your religious views do not influence political decisions. Basically means religion cannot impact the laws that are made in a country. And that's kind of what's happening right now. You know, on the Supreme Court, you have these Supreme Court judges who are saying, in my religion, abortion is not allowed. And they use their religion to justify their political decisions or their thinking, which is completely unacceptable to me. And it's just, it's just so striking. I mean, I'm at a loss for words right now. And there was not the separation of church and state. They altered the Bible. They, you know, they used their religion, which they weren't even wording it the right way. They used their religion to convince people that this is how it should be which was kind of an abuse of power. It was an abuse of power in this book. And it's just, oh my God, I, I just, I can't. And then it also says, he also, the commander also says, notwithstanding, she shall be saved by childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And the main character, Offred, says, saved by childbearing, I think. What do we suppose would save us in the time before? He's essentially saying, you know, oh, you poor woman, you don't need to speak over a man. You can stay under the man. Childbearing will save you from this horrible position of being in power. I mean, it is terrifying. And I just rambled about this book and I kind of, you might have been able to tell, I was getting angry. I was getting really angry talking about this, but it needs to be talked about. It needs to be discussed And I think if everyone read this book, if everyone could see these similarities between the United States right now and Gilead in this book, then we would be making some progress. Then we would be working with empathy and being empathetic towards people and their situations. And it's made me more empathetic to people or to women living in situations where it's even worse than the United States. It's made me think, oh my God, I... I feel for them, and I feel horrible for them. I don't know what I would do if I was in their shoes and I wasn't even allowed to vote. I I don't know what I would do. So it, it was an important book, and I think I gave it a 4.5 out of 5, which translates to a 9 out of 10. I mean, it is a really good book. 
I would highly recommend you read it. It's a great discussion book, and I could talk about it for the rest of this episode, but I have more things to get to, so let's get on with the episode after that very heavy discussion on The Handmaid's Tale, and that was by Margaret Atwood. I also watched, or I listened to this podcast episode, and the podcast is called The Psychology Sisters, and it's basically, I don't know if they're both psychologists, but these two women that are have careers in the field of psychology, they were making a podcast episode on internalized misogyny. So I thought, you know, this is probably going to be really interesting. I want to learn about the psychology behind this. Why do some people have a deep-rooted dislike and distrust of women? Why does this happen? How does this happen? And what are some occurrences of internalized misogyny happening? And the biggest realization, the biggest takeaway that I got from this episode, I would highly recommend listening to it, by the way. It was really enlightening and it gave me a lot of perspective. But my biggest realization on this episode was that internalized misogyny occurs in women as much as men. And that shocked me. I mean, I thought that internalized misogyny, you know, women support women, women uplift women, we try to be there for one another. You see a woman on the street at night and she looks scared and she's worried that someone's following her. You know, you you watch out for her. You make sure nothing happens to her. That was, that's kind of what you do. So I was like, internalized misogyny incurs in women as much, if not more than men. I was like, no way, no way. But then the hosts brought up this interesting point and they said how a lot of women and and men, but a lot of women as well, feel the need to drag down or be jealous of successful women. They see someone with fame, they see someone with popularity, they see someone with an amazing career, and they immediately go to their flaws. Okay, what's wrong with them? What are they not doing right? And let's let's pick out that little detail and make it their whole personality. And I have a few examples of this, and I started to think about it because I was like, you know what, this is so true. The media starts to hate women who grow in popularity, and it... It really is the majority of people that are being hated on or who are being talked down upon. They're, the majority of them are women. Not saying it doesn't happen to men, but the majority of them happen to be women, which is not a coincidence. So some examples I have. Um, one example, she was the first person I thought of. I thought, oh my god, the media has ripped her down because she has become so, like, a mainstream celebrity. Like, she has become more than what people thought she would. And that is Emma Chamberlain. And if you don't know who Emma Chamberlain is, she is an influencer. An influencer is someone who kind of posts on social media, makes sponsored content. Brands work with them to post things. And she had a or she has a very successful YouTube channel. She has almost 12 million followers as of now. And, you know, she was very, very popular, and she still is. But I started to see this overwhelming amount of hate about Emma Chamberlain on TikTok. And I've mentioned how TikTok can be a toxic place. 
And the majority of people making these videos were women or teenagers, teenage girls, young women. And they were saying how, you know, she doesn't work for what she has. She's ungrateful or, you know, she's lazy. She complains too much. And Emma Chamberlain is known especially for being very open about her mental health. She has struggled with depression. And I think that makes her relatable. I think that makes her all the better person. Because, you know, she's not trying to pretend like her life is perfect. She's not trying to pretend like she isn't or she's not a normal person. Because she really is. And I started to think and I was like, you know what? Celebrities... While some of them may seem very out of touch, we all have the same basic emotions. We all feel the same things and we all go through mental health issues. And so when Emma Chamberlain made her, she also has a podcast, which I highly recommend. When she was making episodes and or making YouTube videos talking about her anxiety, her depression, I feel like I really connected with her because I was like, this is someone I can look up to. This is someone who inspires me, a hardworking woman who also admits her flaws, yet does it with grace. She admits her flaws, but she keeps going. And she's worked for what she has. And I hate that I see on social media people saying, you know, she doesn't deserve what she has or she's ungrateful because... I honestly truly think like out of all the influencers, she deserves what she has. She's worked for it and she's a good person. And the fact that all of these people are just tearing her down when she didn't do anything wrong, that is internalized misogyny because we see this successful woman, this young woman. I mean, she became like internet viral when she was like 16 or 17. That's crazy. That doesn't happen to an everyday person which also invokes a lot of jealousy. So by her becoming very popular and her, you know, traveling and having the money to do so, traveling to Europe, different countries in Europe, traveling to, she goes to France a lot, traveling to France, being in fashion week in, or like she was in like, was it Paris fashion week? I don't know. But she's, like, modeled for PacSun and more things that I can't think of. But, you know, she's modeled for a lot of things. She's modeled for Adidas. I mean, she is a big mainstream influencer slash celebrity. She's become extremely popular. She's grown. She's developed as a person. Yet people feel the need to drag her down because of that success. That is internalized misogyny. Then we have Millie Bobby Brown. And Millie Bobby Brown was known for being very expressive. You know, she has a bubbly, fun personality. And on talk shows, she would go on talk shows and... Oh, she starred in Stranger Things. Or she stars in Stranger Things. She would go on talk shows and, you know, show her personality. She would have fun. She would be laughing. And people would just rip her down. People would say, oh, she's so annoying. Oh, she's so loud. She talks too much. Because... They're jealous because she's successful and she has a personality and people see the successful young woman, they have to tear her down, which is unacceptable. It's not okay. And, you know, she's worked for what she has. 
She's famous because she worked hard and she got there. Same with Maya Hawk. Although I'll talk about Maya Hawk's also on Stranger Things. Although I'll talk about Maya Hawk in this next point. Along with kind of having this jealousy that leads to this internalized misogyny of, you know, disliking famous women because saying, oh, they don't deserve it. A lot of people say that many women get their good careers from nepotism. And nepotism basically means you have famous parents and because your parents are famous or your grandparents or whoever is famous that's related to you, you're famous and you have these opportunities because of your relationship with them, which is totally true. You know, some people have a lot more opportunities because of their parents and who their parents know. But at the end of the day, you know, nepotism and these opportunities will only go so far. You know, you've got to put in some of that work too. So when I see the media talking about celebrities and people such as Lily Rose Depp, Kaya Gerber, Maya Hawk, Gigi, and Bella Hadid, and they're saying, you know, they don't work for anything, they're all from nepotism, I notice, you know, all these names, what do they all have in common? They're all women, they're all female. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone say that a male actor, a male model, or a male politician, or whoever, has only gotten so far because of nepotism. I've never heard anyone say that, but I've heard it for countless women. People just discredit their entire careers and throw their entire careers away and say, nope, because of her parents. And Maya Hawke in particular really angered me because Maya Hawke is an incredible actress and people are saying, you know, because I'm pretty sure her mom is Uma Thurman. I'm pretty sure. People are saying, I think, you know what, let me let me Google that real quick. I'm Googling that right now. Um, is Maya Hawke's mom Uma Thurman? Um, yes, yes. Her mom is Uma Thurman. Because her mom is Uma Thurman, people are saying, oh, she only got her career because of her mother, because her mother was also just as talented as her, and she gave her this opportunity. Even though that's not true, even though she had to work to have this acting talent, she had to put in her work, she had to get the reward from her hard work. And I'm just so sick of people just discrediting all of these women's hard work, just saying, nope because of their parents. You know what? Maybe some of their career, a lot of their career comes from their parents, but not all of it. And these people are still working hard and it just angers me when it's only directed at women. People only say that towards women. Not to say nepotism is not real because it most certainly is, but it does not make up someone's entire career. Especially not all of these women. It's just... It frustrates me. Also, I wanted to bring up this internalized misogyny. Um, the, the Psychology Sisters podcast also kind of mentioned this, how a lot of people hate on women for what they wear or how they present themselves to other people, such as wearing swimsuits, like bikinis. You're at the beach. If men are wearing swim trunks and no shirt, how come it's not... How come that's fair, but it's not fair for women to wear bikinis? How come women are shamed for wearing makeup? How come women are shamed for wearing 
short shorts or cropped shirts. And something else that was really interesting when I started thinking about it, the color red has been sexualized. You know, you see, not you see like, oh, this happens all the time, but you know, sometimes I remember wanting to get a pedicure when I was younger and I was probably like, I don't know, 11, 12, something like that for my birthday. And I really wanted to get the color red because I was like, red, I that's my favorite color. And I remember my mom saying, you know, you don't need to wear red. That's kind of an older color because the color red has been sexualized and it continues to be sexualized by everyday people. It is a color. I mean, why can't young girls wear the color red? Like, it doesn't... Why is that color just automatically sexualized on girls? That's just... I, that just doesn't... It doesn't sit right with me. I don't I don't like how that color is sexualized. I remember reading of Mice and Men and um, Curly's wife was always described as wearing red, having red nails, wearing a red shirt, red shoes. And it was like red, red, red because this color has been sexualized and over time it's become this, this symbol of sexual desire or whatever and I don't like that at all especially on young girls and when I mentioned how a lot of people hate on women for what they wear like swimsuits at the beach I mean these people are minding their own business they're walking down the beach they're wearing a swimsuit so what it is a swimsuit it is clothing it does not matter it doesn't affect you in any way Yet people feel the need to point out their bodies, point out, oh, that's too revealing. That makes me uncomfortable. Oh, you know, that's that's a little skimpy for my liking. And it comes from these feelings of self-resentment. And I just, I, I don't like it how women's bodies are always commented on, especially when they're not doing anything. They're walking down the street. They're at the beach. They're sitting in their front yard. They're not doing anything. Yet people feel the need to comment on it because of these internalized, this internalized misogyny. And maybe you're thinking, you're like, oh, I will see some random woman in a swimsuit and I'll automatically judge her. That is that internalized misogyny inside our minds. We don't even realize it's there, yet it impacts the way we think about strangers. So many people have this internalized misogyny towards women inside of their minds and they just judge them without realizing it. They don't even realize they're thinking, oh, that, that girl was wearing too much makeup. Oh, that girl's trying to act older than she is. Oh, you know, that girl, she's, she's weird, you know. We judge them without realizing and I have realized myself, like, I'm not perfect here. I've realized, you know, I have some internalized misogyny towards women and towards girls. Sometimes I see a girl who's not doing anything and I automatically judge her. I'm like, oh, what is she, what is she doing? She's not doing anything. She's shopping. She's having fun. She's doing things that a lot of teenage girls like to do. So why are we so quick to shut them down? So what I've been working on, and if you struggle with this, if you realize, you know, I do this too, what I've been working on is asking myself, 
if a woman is really doing anything wrong or is it's just my internalized misogyny, I say, okay, Mela, let me think about what this person is doing in my mind. They're walking, I don't know, they're walking in a store and they're laughing with their friend. What are they really doing wrong? Are they doing anything wrong or is it just me judging them? No, they're not doing anything wrong most of the time. So that's just internalized misogyny. And I've been trying to work on that. And I encourage you to work on that too if you realize you go through the same thing. People don't start as misogynists. They learn it through their experiences. They learn it through things other people say. And it kind of builds up inside them, inside their mind until it's just a part of them now. They may judge someone one time because of something their parents said or their friend said, and now they do it all the time, which is so important. We watch what we say around other young, impressionable children or our friends even. We have to make sure when we have this dislike of a person, it comes from a place of something they actually did to us, something in actual dislike for an actual experience, not just something that makes us uncomfortable or internalized misogyny. And a lot of those takeaways, the how internalized misogyny occurs in women and how a lot of women have this internalized misogyny when we see successful women, even successful women on our everyday lives, this podcast episode helped me realize that and they brought up some of these great points. So I really highly recommend listening to it. It's a really great episode. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is kind of how our society is built around internalized misogyny. It's built around sexism. And I don't want this phrase, internalized misogyny, I don't want it to lose its meaning. So just keep that in mind. I'm saying it with a purpose here. But I was thinking about weddings. And hear me out. I was thinking about weddings and wedding traditions, especially for the bride or the woman getting married. And I realized, you know, when a woman gets married to a man, it is expected, it's part of this culture, that the woman takes the husband's last name. And to me, that kind of represents ownership. Like, I don't know, it just doesn't sit right. Like, you changing part of your identity because your name is part of your identity to fit under your husband. And, you know, it would never be the husband changes his last name to take the woman's. Like, that sounds weird, right? It shouldn't sound weird. It shouldn't sound weird that the husband would want to take the woman's last name. So why is it so normalized for the woman to take the husband's last name? And my mom actually kept her last name. And you know what? If I ever get married, I'm doing that too because to me it represents this power level and ownership under a man and I, I just don't like that. Similarly, women are titled so many different things to determine their status. It's like who you are called determines if you belong to a man, if you're with a man. And I said that word belong because that's kind of how our society views marriage, like taking the husband's last name. And when you are married, your title changes to Mrs. It changes from Miss 
M-I-S-S-M-S or Miss M-I-S-S to Mrs. because your status has changed. Does the man's status change? Is the man Mr.'s M-R-S? No. The man is always Mr. M-R. No matter if they're single, dating, married, it doesn't matter. Their status is always the same, but it's the woman's that changes. Again, it makes you question. These everyday social norms were kind of built around this dislike of women, this expecting that women fall under men in the social hierarchy. And women are also expected to wear white bridal gowns to represent purity. Now, I'm not saying how, oh, I don't like white bridal gowns. They're they're beautiful. I mean, I'm not saying that. But, you know, the color white, it does represent purity. And only the woman is typically, it's like viewed like you wear a white wedding dress. You may not always, but it's kind of a social norm in America to wear a white wedding dress and in a lot of other countries. So I was connecting this back to The Handmaid's Tale. Who are the people in The Handmaid's Tale that wear the color white? The daughters, capital D, before they're married. And when they're married, they also wear white. And then after they're married, their status changes. They wear red for the handmaids. They wear blue for a wife, stripes for the Akana wives. Or the handmaids aren't married, so I take that back. But, you know... Their status changes. They're no longer pure. They're no longer innocent. So they no longer wear white. But before, they're expected to wear white. And, you know, it's another one of those eerie, creepy similarities between this fictional book and everyday life, like real life, that scares me. Also, some more things I've noticed about society, how we're kind of built around sexism, we're built around internalized misogyny, sexism towards women especially we've never had i'm sorry i shouldn't say we because i know i have listeners from other countries when i say we i'm referencing the united states the united states has never had a female president in over 200 years of being a country women make up half of the population 50 percent of the population over 150 million people yet we are not as represented in the government, people of color are not as represented in the government. Again, a whole other thing I could talk about. But we've had a man, typically a white man, be the president for over 200 years. We still don't have a female president. And you know what? We have a female vice president. It's one step closer And I'm happy we have a female vice president, so we have a voice in the government, but it's not enough. It's not enough until it's normalized for a woman to be a president. It's normalized for a woman to run for president. That should be normal because they do, we do represent half of the population. Feminine products for periods are not free. Tampons, pads, birth control, none of it is free. Everything costs money. And I saw this kind of ironic yet true, like, tweet, I guess, that said if men had periods, you know, feminine products would be available every single store. You could stop at your local post office and they would have a wall for 
tampons and pads, and they would all be free. And it's sad to think, but it's true. You know, typically periods are shamed. It's scary to talk about them. It's weird to talk about them. Like, you say the word and you whisper, period. Like, like oh, I can't say it too loud. I have to keep my voice down. Why? It's it's a part of the human body. It's a part of the this cycle that all women, or not all women, but the majority of women go through. And yet it's shamed. It's shamed to talk about periods. It's buying feminine products. It's expensive. And not everyone has access to them. And it's just so frustrating. Like, I'm getting frustrated. This whole episode, this whole podcast episode, I mean, you can tell my frustration. You can sense it through the screen. But, I mean, right now, I'm especially angry. Abortions are shamed. It's a medical procedure. And I'm, this is my podcast. And I'm, it's not, it's not okay to argue with that. I'm, this is my stance. And I, I'm not going to debate on it. I don't care. I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it right now. Abortions are shamed. Doctors are punished for giving abortions more than those who are rapists, more than those who made the woman require an abortion. Think about that. That's not okay. I I can't talk about this like subject for much longer because it makes me it it just makes me so so angry. Um I can't talk about it for that much longer. But women are expected to shave, wear makeup, wear skirts, wear dresses. Are men ever expected to shave? You know, is that normal besides their face if they want to? But you see a woman, and again, this internalized misogyny because our society is so built and focused around remaining free of anything that, you know, changes our innocence. Because innocence and purity, wearing white, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of my take. That may be a little far-fetched, but I feel like when you see a woman with body hair, you're kind of like, oh, that's kind of different. Like, that's different than what society expects. Yeah, it is different, but it's not different for men, which is really weird. And it makes you think, oh, they're less of a woman sometimes. We th- we tend to think, and I say we again, it's this collective thought that we tend to think those who shave are not as feminine, which is completely untrue. Or those who don't shave are not as feminine, which is completely untrue. But a lot of people think that. There's also an anti-aging stigma around only women. You know, you're going to age, but all these skincare products, all these sunscreens are targeted towards women. You know, you don't see a lot of men that do a lot of skincare things, but see all these ads about, you know, remaining wrinkle-free until you're 100 years old. Like, what? What? You're going to age. You're, that's natural. So why is this whole beauty industry, this whole skincare industry is like only targeting women about anti-aging? And it's just weird. Like, it's just weird to me. And 
I could talk about this for literally a whole nother episode, but I'm getting a bit like thirsty. I need some water. I also have a candle on in the background and I'm like wearing a sweatshirt, so I'm getting a bit sweaty too. But women are taught they need to cover up their bodies. Women are taught that, you know, your body's something to be ashamed of. Again, this whole thing of wearing swimsuits at the beach, like people will judge women for wearing swimsuits even though men are allowed to, even though that's normal for men. And it's just this whole part of this culture in America, especially, that really I can make a whole other podcast episode about, but I'm not going to talk too much more about that. I wanted to bring up one other point, how kind of girls go through this phase where they don't like the color pink. And isn't that weird how we have these colors? I mentioned red, how it was a sign to, like, sexual energy. But pink is a sign to girls, and blue is a sign to boys. And I could go into gender biases, how gender biases for both boys and girls. But specifically talking about the color pink, I remember how in elementary school, it felt like everyone was going through this phase where they didn't like the color pink. I went to this girl's birthday party and we were painting and she was the only one who wanted the pink. And I remember, I mean, even when I was like seven or eight years old, I had this internalized misogyny like, oh, she's using pink. And I was judging her inside my head like, ugh, pink, who uses pink? Like, because pink represents girls in this society, you know, that's kind of the color of like, if you're having a gender reveal party, use pink for a girl and blue for a boy. We were like, oh, we don't like pink to kind of stray away from those gender biases. And I feel like that was kind of a attempt, like an unknown attempt to differentiate ourselves and to say, you know, we're not we're not like that. We we don't like pink. You know, we can like blue, too. We don't always have to be confined to these like barriers, these sexist gender barriers And I'm realizing that now, I'm reflecting on this now, I wish I knew back then, like, it's okay to be feminine, it's okay to do girly things, but society makes you think it's not okay because they shame you for liking pink, they shame you for doing girly things, they make it seem like you are less of a person. And I'm not trying to sound, like, dramatic, but it's true. My experiences, like, my personal experiences, that's true. Everyday sexism in real life. Have you ever heard of, you think, I'm going to give you a scenario. You think of two parents. We're going to say right now it's a mom and right now it's a dad for this scenario. So the mom gets fast food. What was your reaction? The mom gets fast food for her kids after coming home from work. Did you think she was lazy? What about the dad? The dad gets fast food when coming home from work? Was he fun or was he lazy? We often have this stereotype that the mothers have to take care of their children, so when the mom gets fast food, it makes her lazy. However, when the dad gets fast food, it makes him fun and exciting. What about a woman who is leading a group project? What about a man who's leading a group project and directing people what to do. 
There's often the stereotype of a bossy woman versus a strong man during leadership. Any time a woman steps up to lead, people think, oh, she's so bossy, she talks too much. But a man, you know, he's strong, he knows what he's doing, he can give us the right things to do. And women, because of this, you know, being ashamed to feel like, oh, am I being bossy by being a leader? Sometimes women feel the need to dumb themselves down because men are intimidated. It Men are intimidated by strong, smart women. It's why in politics, especially, you see these intelligent women who are making good points and a lot of people just rip them down because a strong woman intimidates people, a lot of people. That was also a point that I got from that psychology episode psychology podcast episode and it was really interesting to think about because I'm thinking of people in real life and I'm like you know what that's true it is so true unfortunately the last few things I want to talk about again I'm like so thirsty I need water right now but I I think it's important to cover this this was a a giant episode I probably could have made a part two but I just I was really passionate about this subject so I wanted to do it all in one episode But the last thing I want to talk about is my personal experiences with sexism. Because unfortunately, I have encountered sexism in my everyday life. One time I was in this class at school, and this class had all these boys in it who would always raise their hands and make the dumbest jokes, yet everyone would laugh, everyone would think they were funny. And it made me think, you know what, what if a girl made those jokes? What if a girl raised her hand and started talking like that? Because I just know people would say she was dumb. People would say, like, what is she talking about? She's being, like, stupid. Yet a boy, it's so normalized to act goofy and funny and make stupid jokes and get praised for it. Yet a girl has to work a hundred times harder to maintain this, you know, I'm smart, I'm dedicated, I'm just as worthy as you. And I'm so, I'm just, I'm, I'm just so sick of it. I'm, I'm so sick of it. And when I was talking about bossy woman versus strong man, I was leading this group project in that same class, which is important to mention. I was leading this group project and, you know, people were kind of turning to me like, what should we do next? What should we do next? And I was getting a little frustrated. I felt like we weren't making as much progress and people were getting angry with me because they felt like I was being bossy. And you know what? I'm going to stick up for myself and I'm going to say I wasn't being bossy. I was being a leader. I was being assertive. And I was helping to lead this this project. I remember I was getting frustrated and this boy in my group comes up to me and he's like, it's okay, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. And he was talking to me as if I was a small child. And it was so patronizing, so disrespectful. And I will just forever remember that. And this same boy, we were talking about, I don't know what we were talking about, like colleges or something. And I said something about Harvard. I didn't say, oh, going to Harvard tomorrow. I said like something about Harvard And he's like, oh, you're not smart enough to get into Harvard. Like, hello? 
I didn't say I was, but you know what? I'm not going to dumb myself down and I'm not going to act like I'm stupid and I can't get into a good school or I'm not worthy of that. And I was so angry when he said that. I was actually now I'm angry, but then I was stunned. I was like, what? Like, what? Because the thing is, I would never say that to someone else. And I just couldn't picture a girl saying that to a boy because we have this stereotype that a man is always strong in leadership and he's he's smart and a good leader and people follow his directions. It's just these stereotypes over and over again. And, you know, it's so hard to be smart and intelligent and intellectual. Intellectual. Like, I'm a philosopher, just kidding. But, like, it's so hard to be smart in a room full of these types of boys because I remember same class. Notice how this is a little pattern repeating. It's the same class all of these instances have occurred in. But I remember before I would say something sometimes in the beginning of the year. I don't do this anymore. I'm careful not to do it. I say, this is probably wrong, but, or, you know, this is, this may not be right. I don't think this is right. You know, even though you're taking a risk, you're answering a question, you don't know if it's right. But we say, this is probably wrong before giving this answer because we're so used to people shutting us down or viewing us as less than a man. And when I say us, I'm addressing, you know, women. And this has happened to me so many times and I'm just mad at myself for saying this is probably wrong and shooting myself down because I was scared of other people making fun of me or getting mad at me for taking a risk and taking a chance. Similarly, with women being kind of patronized when I was talking about this story of this boy telling me to calm down and talking to me like I was a small child. Women are sometimes called ladies, little girl. My mom at her work, this doctor that she works with, he said to these people at the front desk, you know, Let me go check with the girls up front. He calls grown women girls. And that's not okay with me. Like, I'm not okay with that. Because they are grown women. You can say, you know what? I need to go check with so-and-so at the front desk. Because they have an identity. They're not girls. They are women with intelligent thoughts who can make their own decisions who don't appreciate being called girls. Because they're not. They're grown women. Anyways, that's kind of what I wanted to say. I just have been thinking of so many times I've endured sexism. I've been thinking of my own internalized misogyny and, you know, some occurrences where other people have internalized misogyny. And The Handmaid's Tale really... The Handmaid's Tale and Roe v. Wade being overturned really just pushed me over the edge and I was like, I need to make this podcast episode. It's important for me to make this podcast episode This is the longest podcast episode I've ever done before. I mean, over an hour long. I didn't think it was going to be this long. But I'm glad it is. I'm glad I was able to talk about everything I wanted to get through because it's so, so important. It's important to bring light to these issues and discuss them and 
I'm really glad I was able to voice my opinions here. If you don't agree with my opinions, that's okay, but this is my podcast, so these are my opinions that I gave. Thank you for listening, and I will see you guys next time.